helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Hi, this is Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services, and I want to thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Radio Show. Today we have another interesting show lined up for you. Today's show is about overcoming childhood sexual abuse. And we'll be looking at the, we'll be referring to a passage in the Bible from 2 Samuel chapter 13, and it's the rape of Tamar. And we'll be going from that passage to looking at what are some of the effects of childhood abuse when it does happen, and more importantly, what are some of the things that you can do to overcome childhood sexual abuse. But before we get into today's show, let me welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time. Welcome to the Life Transformation Radio Show. For all those faithful listeners who have been listening week after week, and yes, it's a very growing audience. I I get more and more people telling me that they're faithful listeners to this show. So again, thank you very much for for tuning in week after week. And with me in studio today, as those of you know who have been listening, is Melissa Wagat. Welcome, Melissa, and thank you for being on today's show. It's so great to see you again, Michael, and I'm excited to talk about this uh, important topic today with you again. And so as Michael said off the top as well, we will be talking about childhood sexual abuse. So we leave it up to parents who are listening today or people who may have young ears listening in uh, close by today as well. If you do want to have the little ones step out of the room, this may be the show to do so. But we'll leave that up to your per- parental judgment and uh, guidance on the receiving well, today. Well, Melissa, don't exactly scare the listeners. We're not no. going to get into any details no, here, no, no, no. sexual details, but thanks again for the warning. Just for- as a mother of two small people, I feel the need just to give the heads up, though. Um, we trust your wisdom and judgment out there. Um, and as Michael said, we're so excited to join you week to week. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this radio show is brought to you in part by um, Elam Counseling Services. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Elam Counseling Services, it's a professional counseling organization located here in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. There is a team of trained psychotherapists that provide fantastic services for people who are working through relationship challenges, mental health challenges, uh, life challenges. Um, but what's really unique about the service is they all the other, our psychotherapists come at it from a Christian perspective and a Bible-believing perspective. So they are able to impart that wisdom and knowledge into um, traditional psychotherapy services because we really feel that the mind, spirit, and body are all linked. And to get the most out of therapy, you need to address all three. And so that's really one of the cornerstones of Elam Counseling Ministries. You can also find out more about our ministry and our um, counseling services at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two. 2lsministry.com or you can always call us at 613-699-1677 and we have an exciting event coming up as well with Elam Michael if uh, memory serves we have a conference coming can you tell us a bit more about this conference and what people can expect when they attend well I'm very excited about this conference Melissa it's on the 30th of September and this year's conference is titled First Love and we'll be looking at First love in the sense of uh, the first part of the seminar will be dealing with restoring self-love. I think we are all born, we are all created by God 
to love ourselves and to have a healthy dose of of self esteem. When when Jesus tells us that we we are we are, we are to do unto others as we would like them to do unto us, there is this presumption there that we have a healthy dose of self love. But sometimes that self love can be marred because of things that happen in our childhood, where people sometimes develop shame and guilt, and as a result of that, they they don't have that healthy dose of self-esteem that God intended. So this conference is going to be about, first part of it at least, is going to be about how to restore that healthy, that that, that self-love that we, we, we are created to have. But the second part of the conference is going to be dealing with restoring romantic love. There are things that happen in childhood and sometimes even in adult life that affects our ability to love another person and to give up ourselves and to trust. And we are going to be looking at a number of couple-related activity in that part of the the, the the conference to help people overcome barriers in their relationships. I'm very excited about that because I see a lot of couples who come in and they are not able to have the quality of relationship that they desire because of things that have happened long ago. Is there any other aspects of love that will be examined during this conference or is it just romantic love and self-love? Well, yeah, the third part of this conference will be, exa- will be looking at God love. There are times when we can't have that love for God the kind of spiritual relationship that we yearn for. And we, we we keep coming short and we try year after year. We make these New Year's resolution of I want to read through the Bible this year or I want to spend more time with God. But we just can't seem to get there. There are often things that are in the subconscious part of our minds that are preventing us from doing that. And and one of those things can be the, the kind of uh, parental authority or parental figures that we had growing up. Believe it or not, the kind of parents that we had can shape our concept of God. So if we have judgmental parents, for example, we tend to see God as judgmental and we tend to to have an unhealthy fear of God and that can prevent us from wanting to draw close to Him. So we will be looking at this and going into detail in a number of ways that is going to really change your capacity to have the love for God that you desire. So I'm very excited about this conference. I think it's going to be unique and I, I think there's going to be a lot of breakthrough for people who want to attend. So if you want to join us for the First Love Conference on September 30th, we encourage you to check out our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-I-L-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com, or call us at 613-699-1677 and get your name on that list because like many things we do here uh, through Elam Counseling Ministries, the lists fill up quickly. Um, so the sooner you get your name on the list, the most assured you can be that you will be able to attend our conference in September. We want to see you there. So today, Michael, we've said off the top, we're going to be talking about overcoming childhood sexual abuse. And you've um, drawn out uh, the story of Tamar from the Old Testament as an example of someone who's experienced this. Yes, and I I won't go into the entire chapter, but uh, if you want to read it, you can find it in Second Samuel chapter 13 for those of you who are listening. But I just want to read one verse because I think there is a very profound verse in that entire chapter that kind of captures what sexual abuse does to the victim. 
it paints a very vivid picture. There's a saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. And this is so true about this very vivid picture that is painted for us uh, in, in 2 Samuel 13, verse 19. And I'll read. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. This is a very profound picture because we have a picture here of this lady, probably in her, this, this young person in her teenage years most likely, where she has been raped. She has been abused by a family member, her brother in that case. And we have this, this picture of her pouring, putting ashes on her head. Now that picture of uh, uh, this, this symbol, the symbolic act of putting ashes on her head in Old Testament time, was a form of mourning, a form of grieving. So, so Tamar, in putting ashes on her head in this picture, is saying, I am grieving something precious that I have lost. But not only that, we have the further picture in this, in, in this verse of her tearing her coat or her, her garment of many colors. And this speaks of something precious that was given to her. We hear about the story of Joseph and his garment of many colors that was given to him by his father. So most likely this garment represented something to her that was special. And being sexually abused by her brother said to her, I am not special. That special thing that I have has been torn. And now she's symbolically tearing her garments. But then the third part of it shows the profound sadness that Tamar is experiencing. Because we are told that she went on crying. A very sad picture indeed. And I think this captures for us the, the trauma that sexual abuse victims suffer, and especially when it happens in childhood. It's such a profound, profound picture there. Is there anything about the context of Tamar's story that uh, further makes um, the experience that she went through even more damaging? This is obviously a damaging act, no matter how it's experienced, but is there anything particular in Tamar's story that makes it even more so or more challenging? Absolutely. This story tells us that uh, Tamar was sexually abused by a brother, someone she trusted, someone that she least expected to do that kind of thing to her. And the sad reality about childhood sexual abuse is that uh, statistics show that the, the vast majority of people who are sexually abused are abused by a family member. It is said that three out of four, seven to five percent of people who are raped are raped by someone that is close, an individual that is known and trusted. So this betrayal of trust makes it even more damaging. It adds a layer of complexity, a layer of psychological harm that makes it even more difficult to get over. But the, the, the other thing about it is that this, this betrayal of trust because it happens so early in a person's life, in this case we are talking about childhood sexual abuse, makes it even more damaging. Now it's very tragic regardless of what age uh, a rape takes place, but when it happens in childhood, 
it is even more damaging and 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 can uh lead to even even more severe psychological psychological consequences than when it happens later on in life so how can these experiences affect people when they happen at such a such an early age it, when it happens at an early age it said something it says sends a message to the victim about themselves so many uh, people who are abused in childhood leave that experience developing a self-concept. And in counseling, many people over the years, what I have come to, to realize is that there are some very common themes, common lies that I, 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 as I would put it, that they begin to believe about themselves. And one of the, that the, the very common themes are themes along the line of there is something wrong with me. I am somehow defective because of what has happened to me. Uh, another common theme when this happens to this person, to, to, when this happens in childhood, is that people leave that experiencing feeling, I am a bad person. I I am I I am on or I am unworthy, and so these kind of lies uh, leave a, 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 an effect on the person where they can go through the rest of their lives believing that there is something wrong with me. I am a bad person. I am defective, and things along those kind of of lines, and and it it creates a trail of havoc as they go on in life, believe in these lies about themselves. And so that leads to my next question. How does this experience impact the relationships that people can have with others? If they have this um, lie, they perceive themselves um, as defective or unworthy or things like that. How does that affect their relationships with others? And that's a very good question because when you when you have a, a concept of yourself that say you are defective or you are unworthy, then you go into relationship uh, sometimes not having not having self worth, not having a healthy concept of who you are as a person. And so, if you think about that, you come into a relationship with another adult in which you are feeling that you 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 are you you are not whole. Then it can lead to things like promiscuity promiscuity, where a person now doesn't have this sense of value, this sense of worth. They can keep repeating the same kind of act that that was done to them in, the ter- in terms of acting out sexually. And so this leads to this leads to uh, problems in relationship, trust issues. I think, too, when you have that kind of experience, it can also affect how you see sex in a relationship. Mm-hmm, yeah. If your first experience with sex has been in such a violation, how does that impact when you're in a trusting, monogamous, loving relationship? How does that play out? Right. So if you th- if you think about it, it in somehow it it seems counterintuitive, but because you you would think that a person who is is who is now an adult would be able to say, I am in now I am now in a secure relationship. I have a husband who loves me. We are now married, and 
you know, married, uh, sex within marriage, according to what the Bible say, is, is, is honorable, and there is nothing wrong with that. But the, the emotional part of our brain, this little part of our brain called the amygdala, uh, doesn't r- always look at things in a rational way. And on top of that, it kicks in six times faster than we can think. And so if a person begins to engage in the sexual act before they can even think of, wow, this is a wonderful thing. I am here with my husband. This is something for us to enjoy. That stress response kicks in because of the amygdala and they start thinking they are in danger. There is some kind of a threat here. I am being forced. And so it's not uncommon for people who have been sexually abused to say, I'm having, I'm, I'm, I'm making love with my husband, but I'm having this feeling as if I am being violated. Or I'm having this feeling that I'm being forced to do something, even though I know deep, uh, I know at a cognitive level that my husband is not, is not forcing me. I am having this reaction that makes it very hard for me to enjoy what I, what I am doing. Because, and that is because the, 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 the emotional center of the brain is creating a, 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 a response that say there is danger and you need to protect yourself. One person that I counseled some years ago said, I, I, I don't understand it, but I, I get so tense. I find myself closing my eyes tightly, tightly. And it's as if I am, I am preparing for some kind of intense pain. And I know it's not rational because I know my husband is not hurting me. But what they realize is that this is exactly what it felt like when they were being violated as a child. And the, the emotional response is saying, you're being violated again. You're going to be in intense pain. Or sometimes we have the, the response of, you're doing something wrong. And this creates complication when it comes to, to Christians. Because if you, if you uh, start seeing sex as doing something wrong, and your intent is to please God, and you're seeing it as being wrong because of a sexual abuse that happens in your childhood, you're not going to be able to want to engage in that activity activity or allow yourself to enjoy it. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Life Transformation Radio Show. Today we're talking about overcoming childhood sexual abuse. If you happen to have missed the first part of our show, we encourage you to check it out on our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can call us at 613-699-1677 to get a copy of today's show. So Michael, if there are men or women listening out there who have identified with the topic so far. Maybe they've been victims of childhood sexual abuse themselves. Maybe they've never told anyone mm-hmm. that they went through this as a child. If What would you say to that man or that woman sitting at home listening to us today to begin the healing process? Well, I think it's, it's very important, a very important step in this whole healing journey is to recognize that you were a child when this happened. Or if it happened later in life, to realize that you were a victim, that you were taken advantage of. Because I think the, the tendency is to forget, and a lot of people who are sexual abuse, they carry shame, 
they carry guilt and I think that stems from the fact that the, the, the emotional response is saying you were involved in a situation that's ungodly. You were involved in a situation in, 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 with something that, that was not wholesome. And so the, 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 the tendency is to continue to perpetuate that self-hatred and self-blame. But I think the first step is to begin to realize if if as we are talking about childhood sexual abuse today that you were a child when it happened it's not uncommon for people to come in and they would say things to me like i hate myself for what i did i should have known better i should have put up more of a fight or i i i should have said no but I was a willing participant in this happening. So how old were you when this happened? And they would say, I was just seven years old, but I should have known better. So what is happening in this scenario, Melissa, is that a lot of times what we do is we are projecting with our adult brain and everything that we know about sex onto a seven-year-old image of ourselves and saying that little seven-year-old girl or that little seven-year-old boy should have known better. And so I think the first step is to start realizing that at seven, you were not the same. You are not the same. You didn't have the same knowledge and wisdom uh, and understanding even of what you were doing or what was being done to you. For some seven-year-old, it seems like some kind of a game, and and the people who are who are perpetrating these terrible acts make it seem as if it's some kind of a game, or it's some kind of a bonding secret that you have with someone you trust, and we are not to tell anyone. This is only between us. And so, for a seven-year-old, or even a twelve-year-old, it's very hard sometimes to to navigate past that and to realize that this is something very unhealthy and damaging. So when someone recognizes that they were the victim, it's not your fault, there's nothing you could have done, there's nothing you should have done, um, someone took advantage of you, what else can they begin to do to start healing? Well, I think there are a number of strategies that, and and I, I think going back to that first important step of realizing that it's not your fault, one strategy that I often used in session to help people really grasp that fact, because it's one thing to know it rationally, it's another thing to know it emotionally, that it's not your fault that you were only a child when this happens to you. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult sometimes to really grasp that because your, your mind is telling you that it's your fault and you have believed that lie for so long, it's hard to overcome it. So one effective strategy that we do in session is to have the person bring in a picture of themselves around that age. And what's fascinating, Melissa, is that when they come in with this picture of themselves at seven and they look at it, it's as if something clicked for the first time. And they're saying, I was that little. And sometimes they even begin to feel anger, righteous anger for the first time to say, I was that little when an adult did that to me or when an older cousin did that to me. And so it really kicks in. And another another powerful strategy that we use is to ask the question. I remember one woman come, came in and she was sexually abused at 
13, but she was not believing the lie that she was a willing participant in it and that it wasn't that bad after all because a person really loved her. But then I started asking questions around, do you know anyone who is around 13 years old? And just say, yes, I have a niece who is 13 years old. And I said, what, what would you say if that same thing were to happen to that niece of yours? And when she paused and she thought about it for a little while, the tears started flowing. Because right away she realized at a very deep emotional level that a 13-year-old is still a child. And what she was doing was using her adult brain to to make that 13 year old to, to accuse that 13 year old part of herself of doing something that was wrong and that they should have known better there's so much complexity in it all is. of this yes. as as you're describing the different strategies you take and there's so much that needs to be unpacked cuz it's been potentially buried for so many years what other things can people do i think it, when sexual abuse happened there is this tendency to reject that part of ourself. Uh, a matter of fact, a lot of people don't think about it. I remember one lady, she said she had totally blocked out what happened to her. And it only came back to her when her daughter became 10 years old, because she started seeing herself in her daughter at 10 and started realizing that I was that age when something traumatic happened to me. So when it happened, we not only reject the memory, but we also reject that part of ourselves. So there's also another exercise that we do where we can get that person to imagine that they're comforting and talking to their younger self and accepting that younger part of the, of themselves. And this might seem like a very simple exercise, but when you see it play out in the context of therapy, it's a very, very powerful exercise. Because people, for the first time, after many years of, uh, of rejecting themselves and of hating themselves for something that they, they, they did and they thought that they were to blame for, can finally say, I now accept that part of myself. I now accept that younger self as being part of me. And I remember after we did this exercise, this lady said, I feel like the curse has been lifted from me. For the first time, I'm beginning to feel whole. I'm beginning to feel complete. It was always as if there is a part of me that was missing. And now she's saying that she's explaining that feeling, but this is actually what we do when we hate a part of ourselves, or we hate something that happened to us early in childhood and we put it away. We're actually rejecting a very important part of us. So we've talked about... Um, coming to terms with the fact it's not your fault, getting in touch with those deep childhood emotions, talking to our younger self, um, trying to picture um, and comfort our younger selves as we're going through that as a way of healing when you've gone through this type of childhood trauma. Is there anything else people should do, um, especially for those people maybe who've never spoken the words that said, I was a victim of a childhood abuse. Maybe they've told no one. How can they begin talking about these emotions that can be so raw? 
Yes, I know it's it's very difficult sometimes to start this conversation, and I think this is where a trained counselor can be be helpful because it's, sometimes it's a scary place. You you would think that, you know, as an adult, you know, it's something so long ago, but it's not easy to talk about, and so to even begin to say this happened to me can be difficult. So sometimes you need to have the the the, the 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 someone who the air of someone who is not going to judge you who is not going to condemn you who is impartial who has the training to be able to sit with you and to walk through you uh, through this process with you without making you feel re-victimized and condemned and ashamed because unfortunately there are many people uh within our church circles who don't don't have the training to approach this topic and they might approach it in a way that make you feel re-victimized that make you even though they don't say it just the way that they go about it can have that effect so we really encourage you if this is spoken to you today you're not alone in it give us a call we'd be happy to speak with you and walk you through this journey together our number again is 613-699-1677 or you can always visit the website at elamcounselingministry.com and we are out of time so quickly today, Melissa. This is such an important topic, and I know that there are people, this is such a common thing that you might be thinking that it's you alone, but I see so many people within our churches who have been through this. So if you're listening, you are not alone. Give us a call at, and as a number, 613-699-1677, or go to our website of elimcounselingministry.com. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Ministry. And Melissa Waggett. Praying together that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.